whenever there's a really hard decision to make around here, the leadership, the staff, the volunteers, we go to Connie. That's She's our go-to person, right? And she always shares her wisdom and her kindness and her knowledge. And she never makes you feel like, oh, they're beating a path to my door again, even though we constantly beat a path to her door. Connie was, uh, from a very young age, was recognized as a wonderful mother. And because with that, with her degree from Bellhaven University, she has directed programs and taught children because she is preparing that next generation. I don't know anyone who's preparing more of the next generation than Connie Musselman anywhere. And she's respected by the men on the staff in a, in a large church. That's a triumph. So um, she's, been, she's directed our program here at Apostles for over 15 years. And let me just tell you objective ways, because I'm trying to be objective tonight, because I'm not objective about Connie, but I'm trying to be objective tonight. And I have friends on the staff of a lot of churches, and they will tell me all the time that if our vacation Bible school is offered at the same time that their vacation Bible school is offered, they are people who are intentional about their children hiding the Word of God in their hearts. They will, they will take their children to our Bible school. That's why we have 600. That's why we're full to the gills every year. She also started Mom to Mom. Some of you have participated in that. And it's the best program I've ever seen to teach young women to be godly moms. So how does she do all this? She is, without a doubt, and I've taught leadership for 30 years, without a doubt the most creative and courageous leader I've ever followed. And some of the ways that she does this is that she's completely submitted. She's submitted to the Holy Spirit. She protects her mind. This is another lesson I think you can learn from Connie. Connie, if she has a few free minutes at home on the weekend, which is rare, but if she does, she'll sit down at her piano and play to the Lord. Or she'll read another book. She is, without a doubt, the most well-read person in Christian literature I've ever known. Maybe tied with Susan Hooker, but not going to have a contest here, but it's pretty close. I think about that a lot, with a lot of guilt. And uh, the thing that impresses me the most, because I think it's the hardest thing she does, she is a wonderful mother to adult children. That's a hard thing to do. I really thought when I got through the terrible twos that it was going to be a piece of cake. But adult children, you have to, you learn a whole new role. And she's so available and so present and so there for her children. It's a beautiful thing to watch. She has four adult children. And uh, just as an example, just in the last month, she has nursed one of her children's dogs back to health. I mean, back from the grave. And there was one week out of that that I don't think she slept at all. I'm, and I'm not exactly, I know there were nights she didn't sleep at all. <laughs> what is one, one more, and one more thing, and I have, to, I have to tell this, she absolutely, and, oh, and she went from that to being there for her 10th grandchild. That, that's pretty, pretty good. So some of you are going to be meeting Connie tonight for the first time. We're all in for a special treat, but one thing I know is that we're all going to hear truth. That's what you'll always hear from Connie, no matter what. And so I ask you to welcome our beloved and godly Connie Musselman. Oh, Casey. 
what will I do with you? <laughs> I'm really glad to be here, everybody. This is the first time that I'm going to really share my story, and you'll probably know more than my children or my husband there. <laughs> or anybody. Um, that last year, God took me off the path. I spoke for Genuine Wisdom on True Beauty in um, July, and um, I had just stepped off the plane from Montana for a few weeks and had just read myself full, and um, I thought, you know, I, have to, I need to have a mammogram because I felt a lump. But I'm just kind of laid back, and I'd, I don't know when I felt the lump. You know, I just, I didn't write it in my journal, which means it really didn't rate. And I thought, oh, I've just drunk too much coffee. I need to take vitamin E. But um, I went for the mammogram just a few days after Genuine Wisdom, and um, less than 24 hours, I got a call back from Piedmont Hospital from not just a, an administrative person, but from the head of the Doris Shaheen Breast Center, saying we need you to come back immediately for more imaging. And I'll, but I'm going to tell you the beginning first. And it, I just thought, okay, whatever. I called my husband and I said, I'm going to stay late tonight because I might have breast cancer. He said, what? <laughs> he said, what? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm virtually positive I do from the way they talk to me. And um, my story for you tonight is the fact that I stand amazed before you that I had major breast cancer and that I only cried once, and that was over my hair. Um, but that it was such a peaceful time and I have really struggled to know what to say to you all because I have, I have a proverbial basket full of treasures of what the Lord gave me of himself during this time. And how to sift it down and what to say has been tremendously hard. And I, I'm going to follow a few notes, but not. I, I want freedom to not have to, but I don't want to forget something I, I shouldn't say. But there is no explanation outside of the grace and the glory of God, and those two words, grace and glory, that I would have gone through this, there is no explanation except for the grace and glory of God. A few years ago, well, years ago, at a retreat we had, a women's retreat at the Cove, we had a speaker who spoke about her teenage son being killed in a car accident, and I didn't, be, I, I checked out. I wasn't going to listen to her. Not one second was I going to listen to her because I didn't even want to go there in my mind because of my beloved, own beloved son. And so I've thought a lot about you and prayed that you would not think, I can't listen to her because I don't want to get breast cancer. But this is really not about breast cancer. It's about loss. It's about disappointment. It's about, it's about the hills of difficulty in our lives, that some are hills and some are steep and difficult, hard, Loss, loss, where, you know, you lose something, you, you just kill yourself to try to find it if it's lost. Or, you know, loss versus win, you want to win. Gain versus loss. But um, I woke up this morning 
Honestly, this is the truth. And the words in my mind were, there is no explanation except for my grace and my glory. There is no explanation. And the Lord gave me that those words, which are true, you know, in the midst of trying to figure out how to tell you what happened. But I can testify that without pleasurable circumstances, without um, favorable circumstances, you can be at great peace. And I'm as surprised to tell you as you, you might be to shake your head and wonder. Um, I was not the person that would ever get cancer, I didn't think, because I've always, I run, I run circles around my team, except for Elizabeth. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm full of energy. I've got a lot of stamina. Um, at VBS, just before this happened, I remember, you know, thanking God one morning at six in the morning when I was driving to work going, I feel great on five hours. But honestly, when I knew, and they called the, the manager called me into her office when I went for my second day of testing. And, she, and I said to her, why are you doing this? And I thought, do I have like two weeks to live? What, you know, what are you seeing? But my mammogram was so clearly, clearly, they knew what they were dealing with. And so a couple, two weeks of going through testing and everything, and I was fine. I was completely fine. I was like, until my husband and I sat down and he said, you've got to tell the kids before, it was even before the biopsy. After the second, if they get out a ruler when they're doing an ultrasound, that's not a good sign. And that's what they did. So... On the, eventually you're going to get a piece of paper, but here's what I know. Life is like a series of rooms. It's like a hallway with doors. And I did not know I would be like going into a door that said breast cancer, pink path here. Um, Amy Carmichael, who I love dearly, she, sa- she used to love Psalm 47.4. When, when you go home, you'll, you'll have all these scriptures. But it says, he chose our heritage or our inheritance for us. And the word for he chose is the same word when David chose the stones that he, in, for Goliath to put in his bag, five smooth stones. Out of all the stones in the brook, he cho- chose five and one of them knocked that giant down. Out of all the doors, all the doors in life, he chooses our inheritance for us. What's, what door are you in now? Loss, confusion, um, discontent, you know, great joy, whatever. You, there's so many things that God orchestrates for us. And I knew this is a new door. But I want to read this to you about a great big anchor chain. This was in one of my devotionals um, that I had read in Montana just before I came home. Many said the old smith was foolishly careful as he wrought on the great chain he was making in his dingy shop in the heart of the great city. 
But he heeded not their words and only wrought with greater pain staking. Link after link he fashioned, and at last the chain was finished and carried away. In time, this anchored chain lay coiled on the deck of a great ship which sped back and forth on the ocean. There seemed to be no use for it, for the great anchor was never needed, and the chain lay there uncoiled. So years passed, but one night there was a terrible storm, and the ship was in sore peril of being hurled upon the rocks. Anchor after anchor was dropped, but none of them availed. The chains were broken like threads. At last the mighty sheet anchor was cast into the sea and the old chain was quickly uncoiled and run out until it grew taut. All watched to see it bear the terrible strain. It sang in the wild storm as the vessel's weight surged upon it. It was a moment of intense anxiety. The ship with its cargo of a thousand lives depended upon the one chain. What now if the old smith had wrought carelessly even on one link of his chain? But he had put honesty and truth and invincible strength into every part of it, and it stood the test, holding the ship in safety until the storm was over and the morning came. And I want to say that from the time I was 12 and desired an excellence that I could not understand... God began to build my, the links on my chain. He really did. I was one of those kids that had a hunger for God and an insatiable search to figure him out. And those of you who hear me and know me um, know a lot of my stories in this line, and I'm not going to go into that, but um, I know that it's the links in those chains when they were pulled with this latest experience that held me. But why, 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 why did they hold me? There's tremendous loss with breast cancer. You know, I made a list so I wouldn't forget. I thought, you know, I made a list. The shock and the interruption. It's an intrusion. It's like, oh, I've got to go to the hospital doctor appointments. The fear and hurt in my family. I mean, I've been there when my dad had cancer to see how a child, that's the hard, that was the hard, that was the hurdle. I told two over the phone and I told two in person. And that was, that was the hurdle. My mother told me, you will not have surgery. (laughs) I said, oh, yes, I am. (laughs) But um, the mystery and fear of the unknown. Um, You're very little sleep, your mind working, working in, on overdrive. The surgery itself, loss of breasts. The, you have 17 days before, after the first chemo treatment before you lose your hair. And so they send you out looking for wigs. And the only time I cried was after the first wig appointment. And I realized I would not be able to handle the feeling of that wig. And, and the lady told me that my insurance wouldn't cover it. And I... Uh, there was just no way I was going to pay for something so ugly. And so I cried. That's the one time I cried. And I was like, God. And then I remember what Belinda had told me about where she got her wigs. And I went to Northside Hospital, and it was all the difference. But the cut down, the, the buzz of your hair with just stubble left and then using a washcloth and, you know, um, the hair coming out. 
but it was like an intensely personal offering. Um, I knew my hair was coming out, and I, so I put it in a ponytail. So it would, you know, and on the pillow, it, there were chunks of hair, just like everybody said. And I, so I went out with a dog at five in the morning, and I, the wind was blowing, and I was just like, <laughs> and I had a gr- good little laugh. I came in, and my Amy was there, and I said, I'm just throwing my hair to the wind. I figured I'd help the birds. She was like, stop it. <laughs> so I go in, and I get my, uh, they, they say, our goal is they'll cut you down, and then you'll walk out, and you'll, the goal is that you'll feel like you felt you know, you'll feel good about yourself. You know what I felt like? I felt like somebody stuck a football head on, helmet on my head with blinking lights. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, losing your eyelashes and eyebrow, eyebrows. Don't, you know, learning, oh, do not rub. They come out. Um, losing 21 lymph, t- 21 lymph nodes because two were hot. Bloating and swelling and weirdness and numbness and, you know, feeling just crazy. Cellular cellular damage from poison that I've always ate well and never put poison in my body. But the day I went to my oncologist, morning and evening, I'm not making this up. He, the physician, Charles Spurgeon, this is, I'm not kidding, he, the physician, he is the physician, and if he knows all, there is no need that the patient should know. Hush, thou silly, fluttering heart, prying, peeping, and suspecting. What thou knowest not now, thou shalt know hereafter. And meanwhile, Jesus, the beloved physician, knows your soul in adver- adversities. Why need the patient analyze all the medicine or estim- estimate all the symptoms? This is the physician's work, not mine. It is my business to trust his to prescribe. And the next day, I took this to my oncologist, who's a member here, and she was, she was, wow. Let us count nothing common or unclean, but feel that all created things point to their maker, and the field will at once be hallowed. And I realized that chemo medicine is a created thing. And I was... Bring it on. I'm good. Two days in a row on the day. That, that's why I was like, how do I tell them all of the ways that God just reached right into me? Um, mental acuity, where I was afraid, you know, um, an inability to read or write or sit in my chair and, you know, but... The night seasons were incredibly important for me of, to just, I felt, I sensed the Lord saying, what is your question for me? And thinking and thinking and thinking what my question would be. And what do you want me to do for you? Reading the Gospels, Jesus would say that, what do you want me to do for you? And working those questions with God, depression and st- soul struggle, missing time at work was great. It really was. I was in I was in acute, you know, overstressed. I I was burned out. I needed to get off the path and figure out the path. It was perfect timing. Um but you know, I know from climbing mountains in Montana when you climb the mountain it's really easier than coming down. 
the descent is difficult. And it's hard on the knees. It's hard on, you know. And coming back and walking in a room, I never have had a problem walking in a room before. I hate attention. That's why, Casey, where are you? I mean, and so walking in a room with that wig on and or, or, or a hat or getting dressed is just a whole new deal, you know, at that time. But that, that kind of thing. But here's what I want to tell you, some principles that I, about God. And I am going to read, first of all, so if you talk about loss or gain and what you lose, I want y'all to try to apply, what have, where am I in loss? What have I lost? Relationships, time, freedom. I mean, try to, this, is, this will do you good if you can figure out loss and gain or how you can help someone with it. But um, it's all about value, loss, gain. Accounting. And if you think about value, God is the one. It is God has the power to define or redefine what is value. The world says this is not good. God says this is good. I will take, I will take what is evil, cancer, to accomplish what I want, to remove evil, overconfidence, all the things that would lack of time with with the Lord and all of that and and that's what he did but I feel strongly led the other night it was just so strong I need to go through this the story before the transfiguration before Jesus took the disciples up on the mountain and I'm I'm in Matthew 16 um I've given you on the sheet you'll take home all three passages Matthew Mark and Luke so you can look at it if you want to. But um, so Jesus began to show, and I'm in verse um, 1621. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed on the third day and all of that. And Peter took him aside and said, what did he say? No, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He said, uh-uh, no suffering for you. Same thing my kids said to me. Oh, no. And Jesus turned to him and everybody else, and he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so they rejected suffering because they're, they're, uh, they were set on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to come, you deny, take up, follow. He was saying to Peter, Peter, you are standing in the middle of the path that I'm going on. You are not going to stand there. You want to stand in the middle and block my path of suffering? He said, what I would rather you do is put your, your feet in my footsteps. Come, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's all about loss. Whoever loses. Um, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? 
What shall a man give in return for his life? We'll give anything for our lives. We'll give anything. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. And then, in chapter 17, it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on the mountain. Um, I think it's Luke that says he led them up there to pray. And while he was praying, Jesus, all of a sudden, we know he got very, everything got very bright. Jesus' whole, he, he changed. His clothes became as white as the light. You know, his face shone like the sun. And he was transfigured. He, glory burst forth. Glory. Glory is a word that means a full opening. It's like an opening, like the trees in the spring are in their full glory because the buds open. Right in the fall, we say they're in their glory because it's just the highest. Glory is what Jesus was. He was God, but he, he did not show that part of him. And what happened to me with this and so many other things is glory entered my life. There were too many things on the basis of two or three witnesses, the same words being said or read three times in a day. The treasures gleaned cannot be, cannot be told. But um, so Jesus becomes like that, and then Moses and Elijah are there talking with him, and you know, we all know Peter said, hey, it's really, it's really great for us to be here. I'm going to make three, tab- let's do three tabernacles. And all of a sudden the cloud comes down and God is in the cloud and he says, basically it's a rebuke to Peter. He says, the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. So uh, up on that mountain, Jesus shows he's, that he is God. You know, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. They were both men on a mountain one time who saw the glory of God. And then God himself is telling him, Jesus, listen to him. When you are in the time of loss, it's your opportunity to listen as never before. Things that are, things that are silly or trite aren't, aren't so funny. They're really not. You have a heightened sense of what's important. You know, Martin Luther said um, the way really to learn Scripture, know Scripture, is through prayer, through meditation, and through suffering trials. That's the way to get Scripture to open. And see, when I see that word open, I think of a door, and I think of glory. So the doors down the hallway of your life, when they open, God has arranged the doors and you should expect glory. Glory goes with his opening of things. So um, as they're coming down the mountain and Jesus says, you guys don't tell anybody till later. And um, then he has the last word. I think this is so funny. They're coming down the mountain and he says, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. He's like, I started this whole thing talking about suffering, and I will end it talking about suffering. 
he, I am going to suffer at their hands. Later on in um, Peter, in Second Peter 1, he tells, and I can't see that Bible very well, he says, Second Peter 1, 16 through 19, Peter's talk, he's getting ready to talk to the people about, listen guys, the word of God, you need to be in it. And he says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's going, listen, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he talks about, he describes the time on the mountain. Second Peter 1.16, he says, for when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That's the word of God for us, ladies. That's our anchor chain. Day in and day out. It's been my practice. I, I'll never forget the, where I was. I was 30 years old, and I, I had always loved the Word, but I wasn't consistent on a daily basis with journaling or with, you know, reading. And um, if you looked at my chair today, on the top shelf of this little, next to me, I have a whole row of my favorite devotional books, the classics, Dreams in the Desert, several from Oswald Chambers, Morning and Evening by Spurgeon, Daily Strength for Daily Needs. If anybody wants a list, I can get them. But do I read those every day? No, not every day. But if, if, if I am really needing extra direction, I will go through every one. When I travel, I, I, make copies of each book for the days I'm gone. I put them in a folder, and I, and I especially spend time when I'm traveling, reading. What I found when I went back and looked at what I had, what I had read when I traveled was the Lord prepared me for every single thing. And I, I mean, it is full of the transfiguration, ladies, full. Every page I turn in my journal, it's about the transfiguration. Every, um, I mean, for weeks. Did I remember that when the Doris Shaheen Breast Center called? No, I ran to my chair. I got my journal and I said, what, what, have I, what's the, what have I been learning? I don't know. I can't remember. What have I been learning? And opening it up and like, oh. And then during the middle of it, during the three months later, going back, going back, going back. But sitting with the Lord, going through Psalms and Proverbs every month, and I, you come to me later if you don't know how to do that, and then reading one or two, one of two Bible plans that I've read for years. Um, so I'm in the Word, and it's not random. And if I miss a day, I go back and try to catch up, and I try to say, Lord, it's not random what you want to do with me. But what it has done, to my utmost surprise, I kept thinking, well, and my daughter Amy said, Mom, what's wrong with you? You know, I would be sobbing over all this. Um, Are you as hard as a rock? And I said, Amy, you know what? It is really not a big deal. It is, I mean, I'm, it's not a big deal. I keep waiting, you know, when they put the first chemo in, I thought, 
this is going to be emotional. It was just fun. Good old time sitting there. I'm not lying. So here's what I wanted to say is, I didn't want to come here and it be like bragging about me. Oh, she did so well. It's not me. The, it is absolutely, there is no reason for it except for the living God. It's too hard to come and share, you know, details of your life if it's not for the glory of God. It's too hard to work in ministry full time. It's too hard to pour yourself out if it's not for the glory of God. That's my philosophy. But anyway, so this issue of the transfiguration was huge for me. Um, God has, only God has the power to reveal. So there's a verse that says, Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search it out. It's God's glory to hide things. It, it, he, you know, and I'm like, okay, you can hide it, fine. Just let me know when I need to know. It, it is part of what makes us worship him, that he hides things. You don't know why you're going, you don't know why you can't have a breakthrough in this relationship. You do not know how, you know, to do the holidays that are coming up. You don't know how to figure out where the money's going to come from. But, you know, it's um, glory is a revealing and opening up of his fullness. And it's his to give. It's, it's, it's his to reveal. It's his power to reveal it. So, um, new doors even in the wilderness, Imagine being in the wilderness and coming to a door. That's just what it was like. So God has the power, if you think about life, if you think about our life, you know, it's, it's my life. He was with me when I was formed in secret. It's my life. But you know what? With all of us ladies, God has the power to disrupt our life. He has the power to intervene and disrupt. There's no, you know, he says, what, what good is it going to do for you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So disciples are to be men of faith. And how are men of faith? You can't see. How are they built? But by taking away props and providing difficulties where we have nothing but to trust. I sent out an email the day before my surgery um, with a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata that said, this, my life is not God's plan B, it's God's plan A. And, and this was God's plan A for me. It was absolutely plan A. I, I never thought for one minute. And so your theology is huge, what you believe about the th- sovereignty of God. Um, so let me see what else. Um, he, prov- he provides difficulty. Oh, this is, this is good. So I was getting ready to go on my mammogram, just cocky as all get out, you know, just like that bug on a bug's life, the cocky one. And I sat my team down, and we had a meeting, and I said, I'm going for a mammogram, I'll be right back. And um, I had that morning come in and jotted down on my little blotter these words. Um, Life is not um, a destination, and everything we always see is it's a journey. Life is not a destination, it's a preparation. He takes you where you don't want to go to produce what you couldn't achieve on your own. He takes you where you don't want to go. 
we're so self-righteous. I'm so, you know, not realizing that glory could even be a possibility. Sitting in a room, you've never seen anything like it. Sitting in a room with women with drapes to their waist, and they're not talking to each other. Their eyes are straight ahead, and they're filled with fear because they're back for their second test. And I'm sitting there going, hey, everybody. It was just, I'm shocked. But I started praying for the people in there and having a heart for what can go on. So um, every means of grace is what I want to say. So do you all know what a means of grace is? It's like going to church on a daily basis. Lord, what would the means of grace be that would build my chain? Time. Time to recover. Time to sit. Um, It would be go to church. If you want to go where you're going to be blessed, if you want to be blessed, go where you will be blessed. Um, Put yourself at someone's feet. Read this instead of this. Turn the TV off. Listen to music that builds your soul that feeds your spirit. Um, Because suffering interrupts peace. And I'm not saying that didn't happen to me. There were hard, hard days. Suffering interrupts peace. Um, You know, I... um, And we will do anything we can do to get the peace back. So... You know, in James 1, when James says, consider it all joy when you face various trials, and he uses the word trials, and then he later on he talks about temptations. You know what? In the Greek word, it's really, in Greek, the word trial and the word temptation are really the same word in Greek. But the point is not to let the trial become a temptation. A lot of people... When hard times hit, they use that as their excuse to just be done with God. To be mad at Him. To be, you know, stop. But my challenge to you is to build your chain. To build your chain. Um, God's Word unveils a person. It's not an owner's manual. It reveals Jesus, a person. And... um, Being disloyal to him when he's working and opening doors in your life is realize he's opening hard doors because he wants to be with you and open open glory to you. So um, I'll never forget one time in May, um, we have a whole bunch of huge oak trees on our property and a 100-year-old oak tree went down at about dusk, you know, and the root ball was six feet tall. And it was down, and it was, it was massive. And it was momentous. The earth shook. The, did the earth move? Yeah, the earth moved. And um, that morning I had read all kinds of scripture and written it in my journal. And after that tree fell, everybody went to bed. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back and read what I wrote in my journal this morning. I wonder if God, this, I mean, when things happen that don't happen every day, you need to say, Lord, what are you trying to say? And I got my journal out, and I sat in my chair, and I kid you not, here was a, here's the glimpse of glory. You know the, verse I, <laughs> you know the verse I wrote in my journal that day? 
He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Do you think I cried? I, I made lists of all the ways I was leaning on my own confidence. I was like, Lord, you want to work with me on this. And so what I'm asking you to do is to believe that as you build your chain, there will be glimpses of glory. And you, you can't even describe them. Um, there would be times when I didn't know what to do with a child, and I would say, I don't know what to do with you, and go, go in my chair and say, Lord, I am grabbing the hem of your garment for her or him. I am hanging on. Would you please open to me the next thing to do? What is the next thing? Um, so every resource for the journey is available to you with whatever you're dealing with. So here's, here's some of my lists of gain. I, one night, I was imagining, you know, I was all on steroids and um i imagined walking into heaven and god saying to me hey your love to me has been wonderful and we know he's going to say you know well done but i said to him that night you know what i know i have a good pro- prognosis i was stage 2b which is fine my prognosis is good But the fear of dying just goes away the closer you get to him. And when you realize, he would say, you know, your love, your love for me was wonderful. And in that regard, I want to say to you, we have a happy God. He is a happy God who delights in us. He is chasing us. He is the hunter and we are the deer. And he has every resource for us. Though when you have children and those of the you that do, knowing, you know, the key to their heart, the key to your husband's heart, those that don't have a husband, where the heck is he? And the Lord knows. So his words to me were lavish. They were true. They were accurate. They were on target. The appreciation for the Word of God has grown. The appreciation for small things, small things, is huge. Um, identity and suffering. So many, you know, Carrie would come home, she would be at church, and she would talk to the ladies here who had had breast cancer, and she'd come home and give me, tell me things that they said to do or not do. The fellowship of suffering, the, the peace that comes from obedience. Um... You know, just the washing, just, it was intensely personal for me to pull my hair out by myself. It was funny. I, I mean, it was, it, and I'm like, it shouldn't be funny. It wasn't funny at Thanksgiving when I hated that wig and everybody was going to see me. It wasn't funny when I had to walk in places for the first time, but it was intensely personal. It was like an offering. And, you know, when you read an Old Testament story and you realize they pulled their ha- one-third of their hair out. And I think I, I had pulled out two-thirds before I got there. But, you know, humility. 
a different form of humility, uh, a proportion. So this doesn't compare to what other people have gone through. My suffering doesn't compare. Um, it's Breast cancer is a, a unique sorority, and you realize you're uniquely loved as a woman by a heavenly father. And it felt like an offering beyond my parameters, but it was a joy. It was a joy. Um, glory from difficulty. I'm not saying it wasn't steep. It wasn't hard. Just before I came back, I climbed the mountain. I always climb. I've made the mistake of taking the steep trail before straight up. I, I took the easy trail that's, that's a mile and a half more than the steep because that's straight up. But somewhere I missed a path and along trails on some of these western mountains, there are, there are little off trails that are quicker to get to the top and they're, they're little off tra- steep off trails. And I wrote in my journal the ni- that night in Montana, I hit a steep trail. Um, that was a price to pay. I was by myself on that trail. I was afraid. It went right by a cave. I thought there might be a bobcat in there. It was a steep trail. And, you know, sitting there in the night, I thought that was just a little jog. It wasn't the whole path. It was like the Lord said, yeah, I'm taking you on a little steep steep path, but it's not very long, and you're going to get back on the main path soon. Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says... Um, now, faith is the assurance of things, you know, not seen. By it, the men of old gained a testimony. The word, the word, Greek word means they gained a testimony through their faith. Endurance, character, hope, direct words from God for his people. I'm taking too much time. I'm taking your time. But, you know, there's a whole, a whole bunch more of stuff like this that I have listed out. And... I would I want to end with reading a couple of verses. First Peter five four says When the chief shepherd shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Romans eight eighteen for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then Psalm 104, 31 through 33. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. I will say that I believe the enemy wanted me to not be as quick to say that this was not a hard journey. It was hard and it wasn't. God wanted me to tell you that he provided everything I need. Let me pray with you. Lord, you know I so, so, so do not want to discourage anyone who would feel just like giving up because these things are high. I pray that you will give each of us hope to build our chain and to know that just like Psalm 104 says, no matter what, I will always, always praise your name. 
No matter what happens, I will follow you. I don't want to stand in the path and hinder you. I want to put my feet in your footsteps, dear God. I pray that you would inspire us and teach us and give us a vision and give us hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.